Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash DPK. This activity is supported by an educational grant from CGEN. Welcome to this Peer Voice activity on antibody drug conjugates in cervical cancer. This activity comprises a presentation featuring Drs. Robert Coleman and Dominica LaRusso. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Welcome, everyone. My name is Dr. Robert Coleman, and I'm a gynecologic oncologist here in Houston, Texas. Uh, I also serve as the uh, Chief uh, Medical Officer of Sarah Cannon Research Institute. It's a great pleasure to be with you today. We're going to talk a little bit about cervix cancer. This is a disease, as many of you know, has a very big global footprint. Uh, we know that although there are a number, only a few number of cases in the United States that are diagnosed, globally over half a million of, of cases are diagnosed, and more than half of these patients die from their disease. What's most frustrating for us is that we find that there's quite a bit of global disparity where we have differences as much as tenfold between different countries in terms of both incidence and mortality. Uh, and that's really frustrating because we know that this is a disease that can be prevented. Uh, with the HPV vaccine, we're able to prevent this disease quite effectively, but we need broader distribution of it. Now, we do have opportunities since we know that there are other uh, global vaccination uh, programs that are available. So tagging on to something like that would be really helpful to uh, change the natural history of this disease. And what's good about this specific disease is that we have a pre-invasive state that we actually can identify, and that pre-invasive state can be altered uh, in a way that would change the natural history. And that is kind of the key to an effective screening modality that we have for us, the pap smear. But if pre-invasive disease develops, we have the opportunity to actually intervene and actually, again, change the natural history. So we have this great opportunity at multiple levels to change it. What we need is broader distribution. Now, unfortunately, some patients go, will go on to develop this disease, and with that, we have a number of effective modalities such as surgery for early-stage disease and radiation therapy and chemotherapy for advanced-stage disease as long as it's localized. And this works relatively well for certain cases, but ultimately, um, or unfortunately, some patients present with a disease already metastatic outside of the, where those areas can be, can be used, or we find that we've, uh, these patients develop uh, or experience a re disease recurrence. And because when that happens, our intentions now are to try to provide an effective systemic therapy. And of course, we focus on chemo as, chemotherapy as a modality to do that. Now, over this series of several uh, decades, we've iterated um, our study of different chemotherapy backbones, and we've rested on this combination of paclitaxel and, and platinum, um, which we now um, can use uh, quite uh, broadly across the globe. This seems to be effective, and it's more effective than single-agent therapy, uh, but clearly reaching a ceiling for efficacy. And because of that, we've started to interrogate novel uh, medicines that will try to take advantage of the biology and what we understand about the biology. And the first of these that was most successful was targeting angiogenesis. Now, for those of you who treat pre-invasive disease, understand that angiogenesis is a process of early 
um, uh, uh, transition from uh, just a localized disease to a more um, uh, high-risk disease, including even invasive cancer. Because of that, we've used a drug like bevacizumab, which targets the VEGF-A molecule and prevents that interaction and promotion of angiogenesis. That became quite effective with the use of drugs that, um, in, co in combination with chemotherapy. Now, because we knew about this, we also uh, understood this was a viral infection. And with the availability of the immune checkpoint inhibitors, we were able to also identify an ability to decrease or to actually make tumors shrink with the use of single-agent immunotherapy. And this was also interrogated as a four-drug combination in a, in a trial called Keynote 826. That particular trial actually demonstrated that we could improve both progression-free and overall survival with, those, with the combination of those agents. So our focus then was to find new therapies, new targets. And one of the kind of components we've learned about cervical cancer is that it commonly expresses an antigen called tissue factor. We took that um, knowledge and found an antibody that could target tissue factor and connect it through a very sophisticated linker to a chemotherapy molecule. This became tosotomavidotin, and we studied this in a phase one study across multiple different tumor types, with the most promising of which was cervical cancer. So we did a larger phase two trial, over 100 patients, and demonstrated that we could safely decrease or shrink tumors in, in, in about 24% of patients, and we had a very good duration of that response of over eight months. This became very exciting to us because it gave us a new option and a new angle for which we could potentially add drugs to and make uh, potential new therapy combinations for our patients. So we're very excited about the space of cervical cancer. We have vaccination, we have early detection, we have screening, and now we have effective strategies for uh, metastatic and recurrent disease. And we're so excited for the future to see how these new therapies will play out uh, and make the lives better for our patients. Hello, I'm Domenica Loruso. I'm a GYM oncologist working at Fondazione Policlinico Gemelli of Rome, Italy. I will provide a brief overview of the latest data on cervical cancer treatment, both in first-line and in second-line setting, and we will talk about the newly approved therapeutic agent. The treatment of advanced or metastatic cervical cancer is based on the combination of carboplatin paclitaxel plus bevacizumab after the publication of GOG204 trial reporting four months increase in overall survival with the, the combination of BEB plus chemo. But unfortunately, after failure of this strategy, median overall survival is less than eight months and whichever drug you use, response rate is between 10 and 15%. In this scenario, immunotherapy is changing the natural history of disease. Empower Cervical 1 trial uh, reported increase overall survival and progression-free survival when the anti-PD-1 inhibitor semiplimab was compared to physician choice chemotherapy in patients who have failed platinopaclitaxel-BEV treatment. Very interesting, uh, the response rate and the benefit of uh, semiplimab was reported regardless PDL1 expression and the drug has been approved for all our patients regardless PDL1 status. Moving forward in the clinical development of immunotherapy in cervical cancer, K0826 trial reported a significant increase in progression-free and overall survival when pembrolizumab was combined to platinum paclitaxel plus or minus bevacizumab 
in the first line recurrent of advanced setting in chemo-naive cervical cancer patient. But the benefit was reported only in CPSU score positive patient and both FDA and EMA approved PEMBRO only for CPSU positive population. After failure of immunotherapy, we have a huge unmet need, what we can offer to our patient. Antibody drug conjugated seems to be a very promising class of agent. And in particular, tisotumab vedotin targeting tissue factor reported compelling clinical activity with an overall response rate of 24% in second and third line setting of cervical cancer patient. And thanks to the CX6 data, this drug was approved by FDA. In Europe, we are waiting for the results of CX12 study, which is comparing tisotumabedotin versus physician choice chemotherapy in the same setting. If the trial is positive, uh, we will have this opportunity also for European patients. Very interesting, tisotumabedotin has a typical toxicity profile mainly represented by ocular events, bleeding, and peripheral neuropathy. In most cases, these are grade one or two side effects, and in particular, referring to ocular events, mitigation strategies with lubrificating and corticosteroids drop greatly reduce the impact and toxicity of this main particular side effect. And the CHIX-8 trial is exploring the combination of tisotumabedotin plus pembrolizumab in chemo-naive, but also in chemo-pretreated patient, and is exploring the combination of tisotumabedotin plus carboplatin in chemo-naive advanced cervical cancer patient. And of note, for the two pembro combo, a significant overall response rate of 41 and 38% was reported in chemo-naive and chemo-pretreated patients. And for the combo with carboplatin, a significant response rate of 55% was reported, which seems to be very, very promising for this combination. So in summary, it is a very interesting moment for cervical cancer treatment. New therapies are changing the landscape of treatment for our patient. And uh, there is no doubt that immunotherapy in the first line, but also in relapse setting, have demonstrated clinically meaningful activity by improving overall survival and progression-free survival with respect to standard of care. Tisotumabedotin seems to be a very promising agent for second and third line setting after immunotherapy failure and potentially in the future even earlier in the treatment algorithm. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.